Hello, this is Rabbi Rob Doberson, and welcome to this edition of Wrestling and Dreaming. This past Shabbat morning, I had the honor of leading services, Shabbat morning services, at Congregation B'nai Israel in Toledo, Ohio. And I'd like to share with you the sermon I delivered this past Shabbat morning. My plan today had originally been to teach a text relating to the upcoming holiday of Purim. It's one of my favorite short sections of Jewish liturgy. It's called Shoshanat Yaakov, and we sing it following the completion of the Megillah reading on Purim evening. I love Shoshanat Yaakov, and I love to teach about it because there are several parts of this particular piyut, this poem, which really reflect commentaries of Midrashim. And unless you know those Midrashim, you don't fully appreciate the text. So I wanted to share with you some of the Midrashim related to the text. But the problem is that in the spirit of Purim, that lesson has to be taught with joy and humor. And I just felt it wasn't appropriate today, given our concerns and our fears for the people of Ukraine and for the entire world. So instead of teaching the text, I'm going to go directly to the message I was going to share at the very end of that Torah lesson, and elaborate on it, given our circumstances today. Before I do, let me tell you that while I have never been in Ukraine, I did spend a harrowing week in the former Soviet Union 40 years ago this Pesach on a mission visiting Soviet refuseniks. As part of that trip, I and my rabbinical school colleague Alan Berkowitz traveled both in Russia itself and in the Soviet Republic of Moldova, now the independent country of Moldova, which is absorbing many Ukrainian refugees. My memories of that week in the former Soviet Union are, as I said, harrowing. The memories of fear, of the overbearing sense of a complete lack of freedom and control over our fate. Many years later, in 2013, I traveled to the former Soviet Republic, now the independent nation of Latvia, to do some family history, genealogical research. Walking in the streets of the beautiful capital city of Riga and of my grandfather's hometown of Dagovpils, I saw so many Soviet-era buildings, and when I looked at them, my mind took me back, my memory took me back to that week in the Soviet Union some 33 years before. They reminded me of my fear, and more importantly, they reminded me of the persecution and oppression of the Soviet government. But today, those buildings in Latvia are the backdrop for cities brimming with freedom and people seeking to better their lives and the blessing of democracy. The cities obviously face the universal, universal issues that cities face, but they were full of people smiling and sunny skies, and I felt so comfortable and safe. This is what the people of Ukraine are trying to save. They're trying to save the country they have built following the Soviet oppression. And we stand with them in their fight. Now let's look at Purim. The book of Esther is well known as the only book in the Tanakh which does not mention the name of God. God is not present in the story at all. But the post-biblical tradition tried desperately to find ways to prove that in fact God was present in the story, watching over God's people, and ensuring their victory over Haman. They did this in different ways. Some rabbis found clues in the text itself. For example, the name Esther was related by some of the rabbis to the word for hidden, lahastir. 
and they claim that this shows that God was hidden from sight but still active. That idea reminded me of some very famous words written by James Russell Lowell, quoted by Martin Luther King during one of his most beautiful and passionate speeches delivered in Montgomery, Alabama in 1965 when he said, quote, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne, yet that scaffold sways the future and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadows, keeping watch above his own. For some of the rabbis, they were satisfied that God was in the shadows watching and helping in some way. Now, the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Bible from the end of the biblical period and beyond, takes God out of the shadows and brings God right into the spotlight, into the book itself. The Greek translation features additions to the book of Esther, which include fervent prayers by Esther and Mordechai, something our text never even implies. Esther's prayer includes these words, O my Lord, you only are our king. Help me, who am alone and have no helper but you, for my danger is in my hand. She goes on to say, Ever since I was born, I have heard in the tribe of my family that you, O Lord, took Israel out of all the nations and you did for them all that you promised. Now, she goes on to say, save us from this horrible oppression and danger. Mordechai and Esther as well, according to this translation, turn their attention to God for salvation. And God is brought front and center into the story. Finally, there's the tradition I was going to arrive at at the end of my teaching about Shoshanat Yaakov. Shoshanat Yaakov mentions at the end the character Harbona, giving him a tremendous amount of credit. Blessed be Harbona, Zahor Latov, may he be remembered for good. What's important to note is that the Harbona that is referred to here is not the same Harbona mentioned in chapter 1 of the Megillah, where he's mentioned as Ahasuerus' servant, one of the eunuchs that served the king. According to this great Agadah, this great legend, the Harbona that's being referred to in chapter 7 of the Megillah is a completely different Harbona. That Harbona points out the fact that there are gallows in the outside the palace that was set up by Haman for Mordechai. And wouldn't it be appropriate, Harbona says, after Haman is identified as the, one, as the enemy who was going to destroy all the Jews, wouldn't it be appropriate, Harbona says to King Ahasuerus, if you used that gallows for Haman instead? And Ahasuerus agrees, ensuring the end of the persecution of the people and their threat. According to this lovely Agadah, that's not the same Harbona. This Harbona is, in fact, none other than Elijah the prophet, Eliyahu Hanavi, who made himself look like Harbona so that the king would take his advice. But he was there fulfilling his role as God's messenger that would ensure the redemption of the people. Rabbinic tradition always tried to bring God into stories. They didn't want people to think that human beings could achieve their own salvation. And we see that at Hanukkah time as well, as the rabbis, dare I say, invented the story of the oil burning for eight days, clearly a divine miracle, even though it was not mentioned at all in the book of Maccabees. So, in many occasions, the rabbis seek to bring God into a story which could otherwise be understood as a story of human courage. In both Hanukkah and Purim, though, despite all of the efforts of the rabbis, when you look at the stories, 
the acts of salvation are initiated by human beings. Courageous, brave, loyal human beings who seek to save not only their lives, but their way of life. We too may wonder where God is present in the world. We look at the pain and suffering of desperate people and we wonder why God would allow the suffering to take place. We ask the same question even more deeply when we consider the Holocaust or when we experience or witness some horribly unfair tragedy affecting our lives or others' lives. About that, I can only say two things briefly. Much more needs to be said, but let me share two brief ideas. First, as we read about in today's Torah portion, our ancestors gave all the materials to build a perfect symmetrical sanctuary. In that same way, I believe human beings have been given the tools we need by which to save the world, to create a perfect world. We know what we have to do. We know what we need to aspire to. But we have also been given free will. And with that blessing of free will comes the threat that people like Putin and those who support him, seek to emulate him or praise him, can wreak havoc on the world and they must be stopped. And the second thing I can say is that if God is in fact present today, and I believe God is, God is present in inspiring the valiant courage and determination of the proud and brave Ukrainian people who with the support of well-meaning people throughout the world are seeking against all odds to save themselves and their nation. We wish them strength and continued courage. And in this context, I have to mention the tremendous work, the courageous work that is being done by so many leaders in the Jewish community in the Ukraine. We've heard stories of synagogues being opened up, of mikvahs, of ritual baths being opened up as places of, of safety, of, of uh of comfort for people who are in danger. We've heard stories of rabbis breaking the rules of Shabbat as would be appropriate to save children and to bring them to safety. These are incredibly important stories and they reflect the very best of our tradition as Jews. And I'm sure they are inspiring many of the Ukrainian people. And so we say prayers prayers for Ukraine, praise for those in danger. But like Esther and Mordechai and all of us, our prayers may help, but they are no substitute for courage and for human action. So I'm going to ask you to listen to a prayer that was written for the people of Ukraine. But know that it is not prayer that will save Ukraine. I fervently believe that God is inspiring the people of Ukraine with courage and strength for them to do the job they have to do. And I also believe that God is in fact praying that the people of Ukraine and their nations. The prayer that I will read was written by Rabbi Ephraim Mervis, the chief rabbi of the UK and the Commonwealth. Sovereign of the universe who hearkens to our prayers. We stand before you in solidarity with all who are enduring the darkness of human conflict in Ukraine. May you protect all innocent men, women, and children at this moment of great peril for them, their country, for Europe, and the world. Bring fortitude to the vulnerable, resili resilience to the insecure, and strength to those who live in fear. 
Incline the hearts of national leaders towards peace and reconciliation and bless them with the wisdom, vision, and perseverance needed to end this war and restore peace to the region. Almighty God, strengthen the hands of those who pursue peace, not war. Bring harmony where there is hostility, relief where there is pain, and hope where there is despair. May God who makes peace in high places make peace for all on earth. May this be your will, the Nomar. Amen. And let us say Amen. May this be God's will. And may this be our will as well. May God protect the people of Ukraine. And may the people of Ukraine have the courage to continue their fight for their lives and for their freedom. Shabbat Shalom. Until next time, thank you.